Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to the Run to Daylight Football Funcast with your host, Todd Burroughs. I was doing the variety show every week with a bunch of guys, and as the season went on, some could make it, some couldn't, and truth be told, I was just getting burnt out after 11 months of best balls and drafts and writing articles and doing DFS every week. It just got to be a little much, and I've taken a little bit of break, but I'm back uh, looking forward to the off season. It was a really, really good best ball season for me. I won just under 20% of my leagues, had about a 92% ROI between MFL and FFPC. After two years of just missing being profitable, it was really nice to have a good year. And uh, I'm looking forward to continuing the journey with you and any of the listeners and the guest that I have today is one of the people who actually ensured that my ROI wasn't higher. He won the Fantasy Feast League on FFPC, and uh, we had a little trouble hooking up. I think he's on. Rob, are you there? Hey, man. Can you hear me? I can. You're a little uh, – can you get a little closer to the phone? You're a little hard to hear. How about that? Is that better? That is much better. Okay. How you doing? So, good, man, good. So I'm going to tell you up front, I, I apologize for you some background noise. I had to take the, the earbuds out in order to do this. So you might hear a, a very happy or unhappy child in the background. We'll just try to Oh, I don't over. mind that. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I still consider myself a, a, a slightly unhappy child at times, so... Um, no, kids true. are good. Um, <laughs> if, uh, how, how old's your How old's your child? Oh, well, I'm in the thick of it, man. I have a uh, I have a little girl that just turned three in the beginning of December, and a little boy who is ten months old who's starting to uh, try to walk around. So I'm in the oh, thick of it. Oh my goodness, <laughs> I, I miss those days. Believe it or not, I started late in life, and I've got an 11 year old now. Um, she, she's well. She's turning 11 in two days, or is it tomorrow? Hold on, tomorrow. Tomorrow's her birthday. We we already did oh, a wow. big birthday right. party and all that. Um, we do it earlier in the month because hard to get kids to a party. Um, so that's uh, that's that. Um, well, you know, why don't we beyond the kids? Well, you, you sound like a young guy. What are you uh, p- pushing? 28, 29. Oh, I wish, man. I'm a little bit older than that. I'm a, I'm a 37 years old. 
oh, okay, well, you got a young voice. That's always a good thing. Right? I'll take it. <laughs> where, where, are you from? Where, where are you from? Okay, so right now I'm out in uh, San Diego, California. I've, I've lived here for the past six or seven years, but uh, I'm from Connecticut. So, uh, Connecticut, what part? And, uh, yeah, uh, you know, I, I grew up in a small shoreline town that a lot of people have heard of, uh, Guilford, but uh, uh, we live The Guilford Traveler. Now wife. I, yeah. I used to sell an account called the Guilford Traveler. That's a beautiful little town. <laughs> it, it, it's exactly what you think of, you know, right, when you think of the Northeast. But, um, but I lived in New Haven for, for most of my adult life, and, and so that, that's where we moved from. Yeah, uh, New Haven to San Guilford, you could make a case is a really great place, but uh, New Haven to uh, San Diego is uh, is a big upgrade. <laughs> it's an upgrade, man. You know, I, I I love New Haven and I love the cities in the Northeast. But yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so um, you're in uh, Pennsylvania. Oh, I'm in Pennsylvania, right? but I'm a Jersey boy. Because we couldn't hook up before the show, you didn't get my normal warning, which is that uh, on blog talk, a lot of times it's hard to hear each other. So uh, I tend uh-huh. to ask people to, you know, just listen carefully. Um, and, and, and I also tell people not to talk too long, you know, but uh, we didn't get to have that talk. <laughs> so... Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about your fantasy journey and how you kind of got to this year? Yeah, yeah. So, um, well, you know, it, it is, you know, we talked for a while about kids, and, and it's kind of linked to that, right? So uh, I was doing all types of fun stuff on my own before uh, I started having kids, and, and when I had kids, I couldn't just go ahead and leave and surf or, or go do other stuff that, you know, I wanted to do on the whim. And um, I always liked football growing up. I played football growing up until I stopped growing up, and then I couldn't play anymore. Um, but it's, I, I've always liked watching football, and, and I was involved in some, you know, uh, season-long leagues, so, geez, yeah, 10 years ago or so. Um, but I really got into the fantasy football when, when I got into podcasts. And podcasts were great because I could listen to them whenever, right, so if my kid was sleeping in the car or if I was here and we were up at two in the morning, I could listen to it. And, and, and it all gets back to Ross Tucker in that he was uh, on ESPN a while ago now. And um, I thought he was really funny, right? I thought he was comical and uh, and sometimes blunt. And, and I really enjoyed the show that he was on. And when he left, that kind of started me on the journey of uh, exploring all these other shows that are out there. And, of course, now, like this, right, and, and, and Rotoviz and all these other websites and podcasts that have popped up, they're just so much content out there, uh, I, I got hooked on it. Almost too much. <laughs> Almost too much. And, and I say that um, as a guy who's trying to, to add to the wasteland of uh, podcasts <laughs> by getting my own name out there, but uh, but it, it is. It, there's a lot. I mean, there's certainly no excuse going forward um, to, to not have good information. There's just so much of it out there. Yeah, exactly. Well, and, and that's accurate. And, and you know, so there there are tons. I mean, you can go on iTunes or, or wherever you use, and there are so many shows. But, you know, once you start listening to them, the circle closes a little bit, and, and 
you, know, you start seeing personalities on each other's shows, and you realize that a lot of these guys know each other. And, and sometimes, if you're lucky, and, and that's that has really helped me, people start saying the same things over and over again. And, and that's kind of my uh, confirmation bias if I hear it on two or three different podcasts. Say, okay, so there's something to this. For me, it's been, you know, I had my best year, and a big part of it was listen but really hold on to your, you know, and and I didn't do it 100%, but I did much better this year at sticking to my guns. And if someone said something, even if I heard it a couple times, um, you know, I tried to stick to my guns unless they really convinced me. And it's unfortunate because one of the cases, and it it wasn't, you know, I wasn't super, solid and that's why I got moved but I I was really on Todd Gurley early I had like 35 close to 40 percent because there just wasn't a lot of people in the second round I liked and I had a lot of Hopkins and I just kept hearing all this negativity about Gurley and his offensive line and this and that and I I, I got off him and I, I still ended up with a decent amount but boy, you know, you look at the results I had, and if I had another fifteen, twenty drafts with Gurley, which I would have had I not, you know, jumped off the bandwagon for a while. Um, so it, it really is a balance between listening to other people and also trusting your own instincts. And I think if you watch a lot of football, you have to have your, you know, to be good. You can only be so good listening to others. Right, right. Yeah, that's true. And, well, in in terms of Gurley specifically, um, I had him in the FFPC league, and and that was one of the reasons why I won. Uh, Ironically, though, I I took him because, uh, not just not in that league specifically, but when I did take him, just because, as you said, he, he was a value. But um, I didn't feel good doing it. It, it. it wasn't someone that I was necessarily high on. I just volume play, um, someone who might be you know, above his ADP, so I'll go ahead and take him. Um, but that goes to something that I, I, I took away from this year too, and, and that is it, it's good to have your guys, but especially in those early rounds, you do have to differentiate a little bit. Um, many of the – I went through my MFL 10s before tonight just to kind of see – if there were some themes, and there were, there are many themes in, in the ones that I, I won or came in second place in for, for a free entry. But but the big theme was that I had a lot of uh, second or, or 1.02 picks, meaning I didn't get David Johnson, I got Le'Veon Bell, right? And, um, you know, Zeke Elliott, those guys up on the top, they can just crush you if, if, if something unforeseen happens. And so differentiating, maybe taking a guy like Gurley who – you know, you might not be so high on, but who knows it's a good value in the second round. It, it could pay off. Well, I've been writing a series of uh, best ball leaderboard articles for Rotoviz. Um, our last one will be up this week if anyone wants to check it out. Um, but basically what we've tracked is, we, you know, it was an idea of Dave Cabin's, and basically we would assign points based on your finish each week, you know, five points if you were in the top three, um, four points, and then, you know, all the way down, and, and then uh, past a certain level, you got zero points. And it was, bent, it was meant to mimic 
you know, the effect, you know, because if you get below a certain amount of points, you're not, even if you get to score in a fantasy league, you're not doing your team any favors. And one of the big, you know, conclusions for me this year is it's, it's not just who you pick, but who you're able to pick after that. So, um, in tracking, you know, the guys who had the highest winning percentage, there was a discrepancy between, you know, just the basic facts that you would think about, right? So, you know, Bell and Brown both had huge numbers in the 20s, which is very high historically for um, – Brown's probably dropped a little at the end there, but both of them were over 20%, and – Part of it was that other first-round picks got hurt, and part of it mm-hmm. was their performance, obviously. But the, the thing that I got out of it is if you go back and you remember, if you had the, the second, third, or fourth pick and you got Brown or Bell with one of, the, with one of those picks, you were able to get Gurley because that's where his yeah. ADP yeah. was dropping him. And it was also where you could get Hopkins. And if you ended up with Bell or Brown with Gurley and Hopkins, you pretty much won your MFL this year after the third round unless you completely destroyed yourself. So (laughs) that's just something I wanted to share is that it's, it's, it's a combination of factors that lead to winning teams. And this year, the early draft picks, if you got Bell or Brown because they stayed healthy and David Johnson and Elliott and um, Odell Beckham all missed time and those were the next three guys, you really did yourself a big favor. And then you look at like guys like uh, uh, A.J. Green and Mike Evans. They didn't play well, but you wouldn't think there would be a difference of like 22% on winning teams to 6%. And that, I think, was because of who you could get when you wrapped around. Yeah, and, and so that that trifecta that you just said, all, all those guys were on my FFPC. So I, I, it, it was – and it was – I'm not going to – Dude, you crushed us. Yeah, that, that was, you beat that us was by luck. 300 points. So – but I, I suppose I could I could very well say – that it wasn't that I, I looked into the future and saw that as being a great thing. It was just where they were at. Uh, I think more so if you're actually looking at skill, because, you know, if Zeke weren't suspended or if, if David Johnson weren't hurt, who knows what could have happened. But, uh, you know, later on, I, I think that's where it really came in. And that was a theme with my MF, uh, MFL 10 too. You know, later I'm looking at this same team here and I picked up, uh, Adam Thielen in the eighth round, Carson Wentz in the 13th round, Rex Burkhead in the 18th round, Cooper Cup in the 25th round. And, and I, I think that those are the guys that really, you know, turn it. Because you, the, the, the top two or three, it's important to stay healthy, but many of those guys produced. So some of them didn't, like you, you mentioned, like A.J. Green or, or Evans, and, and some of the folks just didn't do that well. But in general, they did well. It's, it's those mid to kind of later round guys, I, that, that seemed to me, at least when I looked at my NFL 10s, and I only did four FFPCs this year. I won two of them. But it was those mid-late round guys that I think really you know, helped out. And they, have, and they were usually receivers, too, at that. 
Yeah, I, 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 you know, I always say that, you know, I don't win every draft where I think I had a good draft, but I can never remember winning a league where I, I left the draft thinking I didn't have a good draft, right? You know, sometimes right. you think you had right. a good draft and injuries happen or other things happen, but I remember walking out of that draft thinking I didn't do very well and I didn't have that great of a team, and I came in fourth place. And, um, you know, I, I had the eighth pick, so I started with A.J. Green, Rap Jordan Howard, had Jimmy Graham, Kyle Rudolph, Tevin Coleman, and Martellus Bennett. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's pretty bad. But then you go and you look at, you know, like you say, it's some of the later picks. You know, ninth round, I took Kareem Hunt. I got Cam Newton in the 11th, Richard Matthews in the 12th. And, you know, and then, you you know, so you can, you know, I stayed in it. I stayed alive, but it, I definitely didn't have one of my best drafts in that one. Yeah, and, and that's interesting too because, so in in preparation for this um, FFPC, I had never done one of these before. I did the uh, a postseason um, the year before, so that's uh, the playoff or. They entry like 200 or 250, I believe. I, I did enter that, and, and I just got my money back, essentially, because I had a bunch of Falcons and Patriots. But I'd never done one of the, the year-longs or, or best balls. So I, I listened. I, I looked for some podcasts, and there's, there's an FFPC high-stakes uh, football podcast. And I was listening to that, and, you know, they, they, they retell the story over and over again of this, this fellow, and I don't remember his name, who had Antonio Gates, and he picked them, like, way late in this tight end premium format and he won everything. And, and that kind of stayed with me because I knew that I'd be playing people like you and Evan Silva guys that are just, you, know, you guys live and breathe this. And, and I'm just kind of here getting the content from you and we had to do something different. So I did that actually. I waited on tight end and, and I took a shot. I, I didn't think you'd be the one to come through, but in the 23rd round I had um, Austin Cesarian Jenkins. And I think that that helped a lot. Uh, Dude, your draft was insane. I mean, you had Bell and then Gurley and then Hopkins and then Ingram. I mean, you can't do much better than that. What's really interesting about your draft is in a tight end premium, you you had no tight end. You had Julius Thomas, Thomas. David Njoku, and (laughs) ASJ. Um, But what also really helped you was you got Carson Wentz in the 13th round. You got Adam Thielen in the eighth round, and you add them to that core. And you also got Cooper Cup in the 25th round. So it was a solid yep. draft for you all the way around. Um, and, you know, I, I wish that I could say the same thing. But, uh, you know, and I did really good with FFPC. I actually did better than MFLs, even though MFL is – technically what I study a lot more, but I won four out of 18. Yeah. And that's in FFPC, good. and I you came know. in third and three. What was really funny is, uh, I, I mean, I, I almost, I came in seventh and one, tenth and another, and that was all the t- all the teams that I finished in the second half of. So 18 drafts, only two I didn't finish in the top six. 
But this fantasy feast, dude, you killed it. Um, I want you to tell everyone the story of Alvin Silva. I thought that was a funny story. And that, you know, of course, the fantasy feast has Ross Tucker and Evan Silver. And I thought that that was Evan when we were drafting. So tell that story. Yeah, so so this is a story that just continues to, to live on probably to uh, to some people's chagrin. But um, so – I consider guys you know, like Ross Tucker and, and um, Evan Silva, they, they, these are the, the big platform people, I think, right? They have, a, they have a big platform and CBS Sports and Westwood One. And, and so a lot of people hear these folks. And, uh, but by listening especially to the Fancy Feast, uh, folks like you go on, right, and, and other people, and that's how I got into football guys and, and, and other people. And um, digging around, uh, which is – over a year, two years ago, maybe I'm not even sure. I, I found this. Uh, this it wasn't a podcast. It was more like a, just YouTube videos of these guys, um, and uh, they they were uh, just talking about fantasy football. I really liked them. They were funny. Uh, they were really funny, and, and it was the Power Hour podcast, right? The BFS Power Hour podcast. Um, but as I said, it wasn't really formal yet. They it, it was more like just a, a Google Hangout where these these guys were talking and. Um, and the information was spot on. They were awesome. And, uh, but, but more so, I really like the personalities. They looked like guys I, I kind of hang out with. And, um, of course, now there's a DFS Power podcast, and uh, they have uh, premium selections. They have a Slack chat, which I've, I've interacted with you in that Slack chat before, and it's, it's yep. a great product. Yeah, the, the, but, uh, um, John, John and Hodge are very smart people. Yeah, they are, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so I just sit there and soak in what what they say. And, uh, but in in the beginning, there's Scott Barrett, and Scott Barrett has since moved on, and um, he died. Anyway, there. <laughs> he just got kidding, promotion, sorry. I believe. Right? <laughs> he did. He went. He went to Pro Football Focus. That's my attempt at humor. Yeah, sorry, yeah. folks. Yeah, more morbid humor story. But um, well, and, and so the humor was this. You know, they they finally had this this you know this kind of big guy on there, Evan Silva, and and um, the Power Hour uh, used to involve alcohol. I, I don't believe it does anymore, at least to the extent it used to. And and so Scott Barrett uh, had some issues saying uh, Evan's name. He's nervous, and I guess he had a few beforehand, and and he kept calling him Alvin. And and, and so this was a joke anyway, because because Scott was just notorious for calling people the wrong name or, or saying players' names incorrectly. And and so, you know, it was a joke for a while. And then when I got into the FFPC League, of course, I had to name my team Alvin Silva. And and that was funny enough, you know, as it was, and there's a fun way to interact with these folks, fun of them on Twitter. But, you know, I didn't know that, that Evan was actually going to break down the draft on the fantasy feast. And so he's breaking down the draft, and, and he keeps talking about this team Alvin Silva, and he's He's saying on on the fantasy piece. I, I guess he, I guess there's something with my name. I don't know. So it was just hilarious, and I'm sure that they all have the backstory now. But <laughs> yeah, that 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 was funny. And uh, so what's uh, what's up next for you? Um, what what are your big takeaways from this season, and how do you plan to maximize it next season? Well, you know, I'm, I'm going to do more FFPC leagues. I I only did four. I went two of them, and, and uh, I like the format. Um, I'm going to continue with that. With the MFL 10s, I'm, I'm, I'm really interested in, in the double-ups, right, the, the, the 2X. Um, to, I had so many finishes. Uh, I, I played about somewhere in the 50s, 
and um, and I broke even uh, this year, and, and that was because I experimented with a lot of different construction ideas. But um, I had so many that were you know fourth place, third place that that I could have cashed on. So I'm interested in volume playing that next year, and um, and also playing around with these different roster constructions too. I suppose yeah, all the guys no matter who you listen to, they say, you know, get the value pick, right? Get, get the guy who's the value for the ADP. And and that's cool. That's boring sometimes. I want to try different things, maybe get, you know, late running backs, pass catchers, or different scenarios. And really the, the scenario that worked out best was just that, getting the guys that were at the best ADP. And, and most importantly, making sure you had at least one bell cow in, in the first, you know, two rounds, I think, really. So that's a form that I'm going to continue with. The, the teams I did I did not do well with, I was playing around with taking an early tight end, maybe like a, a, a Kelsey or, or an Olsen, and then uh, getting a quarterback, you know, maybe Drew Brees. Let, let me, let me jump Brees in for a sec. Let me jump yeah, in yeah. for a sec. Um, yeah. You know, I was telling you about the, 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 the tracking that I do. Um, yeah, and yeah. one thing is – if you if you look at my articles each week, Kelsey and Gronk are great picks, but they were only on 12% of winning teams versus yeah. Antonio Brown and Bell and Gurley in the 20s. The best tight end was only 14%, and that was Zach Ertz. So even if you drafted Zach Ertz, who was almost as good as Gronk and – and Kelsey, right, point-wise, very close. Yeah. Um, that only got you up to 14% of winning teams, um, where wide receivers and running backs often get into the 20% range. So I, I think that is the biggest reason not to go tight end early. Um, it just doesn't seem to – and historically, like the best tight end opportunity in the last three years – was Jordan Reed in 2015 where you could get him in the 12th to the 14th round and he had a top yeah. you know you know he was the either the top I forget if he beat Gronk or they were very close for the best and I don't think he was over 15 or 16%. So it just doesn't <clears throat> seem like even if you really nail the tight end it it puts you in and of itself in a position to win. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And and the argument, you know, the, or, or the experiment, I guess, that I was having is, well, the the logic is you get a tight end early and then you don't have to get two other ones later and that could free up a guy like you know, Super Cup or something like that. But the probability of that happening is so low, it's, it's just not worth it. And then if you sink it in someone like Greg Olson, they get hurt, you're done, right? Well, and again, it go- <clears throat> my philosophy, not that you asked, but my show I tend to give my opinion a lot Um, but um, my thought is you know I look at an eight I I laid out four things that I was going to focus on that I thought would lead me to a better year than the one I had last year Um, one was um, you know paying attention to bye weeks because they matter in best ball uh, because you can't afford to have a zero week at a position. Um, the second was to start stacking quarterbacks and wide, you know, and their and their pass catchers when it made sense. 
And there was one other one, and I, I'm not looking at my article, but the third one was that you I use an ADP tool for every pick, but that doesn't mean I'm going to take the guy who is the the highest guy. It's more of a way to just see everyone that's available when you pick quickly, and to and to and to find a guy that you like when you're on the board. Um, so that, I, I just thought I would interject that. Yeah, no, that, that's all accurate, man. It's um, even and and you know I, I don't know. I'll have to read more about this. I would just you know thinking about next year and how it's how it's probably going to play out. I might have a hard time unless I'm at the back end, even taking a wide receiver in, in round one. Uh, those every team I was successful with had, you know, at, at least a Melvin Gordon or, or you know a Sean McCoy in there. And, and but you never know. I mean, Gurley was in the second round, and, and, and that happens. But it's just so hard if you miss one of those guys. Uh, the guys that later, you know, I had I had these teams with like Sproles and and these pass catching guys, Woodhead. Woodhead sank a lot of my teams. And um, you, you think that they have a floor, but you don't really want a floor. You know, you, you need to be number one, and it just doesn't work out. You know, whereas I had Robert Woods, I had Adam Thielen, these other guys that, that really did provide more of a ceiling. Well, you, you know, look, you, you definitely need, you know, but the, the other thing that, I, you know, as someone who's done these now for three years, the one thing that yeah. I would be careful about on takeaways is – using last year's information to try and predict the next year. You know, my first yeah. year doing this uh, was the running back uh, apocalypse, right? If you took a bunch of <laughs> running backs early, you, you didn't win. Last year, running right. backs were a little bit, you know, you know the, the, the big running backs were important. This year they were important. What really matters at the end of the day, besides when you draft someone and how well they do is, you know, if there's seven running backs who are really fantastic, well, then, you know, what it doesn't matter if, you know, if you get one or two. Uh, I'm not saying that right. But what I'm saying is it's just you just got to be careful thinking that in the NFL what happened last year is also going to happen the next, if that makes sense. I, yeah, I think I know where you're coming from. Uh, yeah, and, 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 and so it's more about, to me, it's more about, you know, why was Todd Gurley such a good value? Well, he turned out to be such a good right. value because he had a huge workload, right? And right. he had a head coach who was so much better than Jeff Fisher. And they signed Andrew Whitworth. And they stayed healthy. So there was a tremendous amount of factors that led to Todd Gurley being Todd Gurley. <clears throat> I do think rather than saying, well, i got to go into next year getting Todd Gurley, I'm more likely to look for those factors that led him to be such a good pick, right? Like um, I talked about stack cuffing in one of my articles, and I talked about how if you had drafted Devonta Freeman in the seventh round and, and Tevin Coleman in the tenth round the year before, you made out like a bandit, right? Right. But I said, that doesn't mean I want to draft Freeman and Coleman. I, I had almost no Freeman this year because I thought his value was bad. But I drafted a good bit of Spencer Ware and Kareem Hunt together. And then Ware went down, yes. and Hunt yeah. Hunt was, 
you know, and I got wet. Well, why did I do that? Well, I did it because I got wear in the sixth round, and I was getting hunt in the tenth round. And my thought was, well, if they have a two-third, one-third split, they'll both be a, you know, one, and one week hunt has a big week, and one week wear has a big week. That'll be like Freeman and Hunt. And then if the one of them gets hurt, you know, maybe I can get the type of year that Hunt had this year. So my bigger point is look more for situations that might be like last year that other people aren't seeing rather than taking the players who were successful the year before. To be fair, though, we should have seen – you know, Gurley coming because Jeff Fisher said that he laid the groundwork for that. So, I mean, that's well, yeah, obvious true. for everybody. It's true. <laughs> he, he deserves another job in the NFL for that. And I'm sure he that does, someone yeah. needs their toilet scrubbed, and I think he would be perfect for that. <laughs> Let me ask you this, because sure. you know, I, I think I did something similar to what you just explained, but – I did it with some later round guys. Uh, the, the Patriots backfield, for instance, I would take shots on like James White and Burkhead or Lewis and, and White in, on the same MFL 10. And I did it with the Jets wide receiving court too. I Quincy Nuno and Roddy Anderson on it. And they were double digit round picks. Um, what do you think about that strategy? Is it, is it not good because you're taking, you're taking up too much of your roster. And, and like you said, you have the same bye weeks or is it somewhat like I, I locking up a wide receiver core? Yeah, I get into that in detail on a couple articles. I I coined the term stack cuffing, and the reason I call it stack cuffing is guys were arguing whether on Twitter about handcuffing, and I'm not I'm not in favor of handcuffing. And some guy says, "Well, it's like you're stacking running backs," and I said, "No, it's it's stack cuffing, right? You're protecting yourself (laughs) like an old-fashioned handcuff." But you and but you're only doing it. So you know I'm going to send you my article so you can read it. Um, yeah, we're, we're yeah. hooked up. And so basically, I get into exactly what it is and how to apply it. It's not a strategy. I I start a draft saying, "Hey, I'm going to stack cuff this draft." You know, no, right. because that would be foolish. Because you, do, I don't believe in. You know, you got to read the draft board and you got to read the draft that you're in. It's like, well, do you like to take two quarterbacks or three? Well, I like to take two quarterbacks, but if I don't feel I have two good ones, I'll take a third. You know, I don't like to lock myself into a strategy. I think that that's negative EV. I think being the openness to look at your roster and adjust in 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 the middle of the draft is important. But for those who are listening. You can either find my article on football diehards, but basically what makes a stack cuff effective is if it's only two guys. If there's three guys, the chance of you getting it right is too hard, right? So in that case, I don't think it's worth your while to take James White and Rex Burkhead because it might have been Gillis Lee or Deion Lewis, right? Um, There's four guys. It, the way I played the Patriots' backfield this year is I faded Gillisley almost completely. I faded Deion Lewis almost completely. I had almost no James White. And Burkhead, who was the cheapest of the bunch, I was one of my top seven or eight owned players because I was getting him in the 15th, 16th, 17th round, and my thought was, 
I think he's just as talented as Gillisley. A month ago, everyone was on Burkhead. Now they signed Gillisley, and no one's on Burkhead. I'm on Burkhead. Um, <laughs> so that, my way of playing that is, is you know, I'll take a shot on the guy. If there's three or four guys, I'm going to probably I'm going to take the cheapest one that I feel good about, right? Not just the cheapest one yeah. to be cheap, but the cheapest one that I think has a chance. And in, and in that backfield, I thought it was Burkhead. Stack cuffing is a situation where there's two backs, and they're both of value. And so you come up in the sixth or seventh round this year, and Spencer Ware was there. Well, he was a guy who, before Hunt was be, was uh, uh, drafted, was going in the third and fourth round. To get him in the sixth, seventh round at times even, that was a good value to me. And then if I came up in the tenth round and Hunt was in the tenth round, I wouldn't mind adding Hunt to because I, there's two guys that I think are going to get the work, and I got both of them at value. That's what stack cuffing is. D- does that help? It does. No, that that makes sense. And um, yeah, I, I did that as well a little bit with Spencer, where I, I, I'm sure some really smart people did it with the Saints backfield, and, and they were probably very profitable. I, I did not do that. Um, but, but with, I had with, with I had Warren some Hunt, Ingram, yeah. uh, but uh, you know I was more into Hyde and uh, Wear than I was Ingram. Uh, but I had a Camaro was another one who was one of my top ten to fifteen people that I owned. Um, so yeah, I mean that that turned out to be the ultimate one. But that one was harder to read because Peterson was there in the beginning. And if you ended up drafting right. the other two and Peterson ended up winning the job, you would have been completely screwed. <laughs> so this I don't think there were too this many uh I don't think there were too many Ingram Camara teams out there and God bless the people who did it. But I, I you know <laughs> but again if if, if uh, you know, if Ingram was staring me in the face in the sixth, seventh round and I needed a running back. If I took him, I would not have minded taking Kamara in the 10th to 13th round. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, Ingram was one of, the, one of my top percentage owned as well. And um, and some of that was just, you know, trying to think. He's a good guy. It was always he was so good. And he's never got the opportunity. But, you know, Evan Silva was also really on him over the summertime. And, and he swayed me a little bit. But, but I, it, it was – just such a value where he could get Mark Ingram at. It is ridiculous. And and I had missed this, too. I had a lot of Ty Montgomery because you know, I thought that he was a deal. I had a lot of Willie Sneed that didn't come through. But, um, uh, but you know, listening to, to folks like you and, and, and other folks out there and, you know, deciding on my, my, myself, too, I, I was able to, to get some of these quality picks later for sure. Yep, absolutely. Uh, any final thoughts? Uh, it was really fun having you on. I, uh, was this your first pod ever? Yeah, it's my first pod. Cool. I love giving people their first chance. I'm really glad that you had a chance to come on. Uh, give us some, uh, some last thoughts and where people can find you online. Sure. So, you know, as far as last thoughts go, just uh, I don't create content. I, I, I collect it. Um, of course, Rotoviz and and Tatier is awesome. The guys over at DFS Power Hour are great too. Um, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at uh, NFL Ten Man One, um, but I'm also bouncing around different different boards too. And, uh, and feel free to direct message me if you, if you have any questions. What's your Twitter handle? 
Um, MFL 10-man one. Awesome. Well, that's uh, Rob Francis, folks. Um, an up-and-coming best ball player um, kicked my ass, kicked Ross Tucker <laughs> and Evan Silva's behind as well in the Fantasy Feast draft this year. Uh, congratulations again, Rob, and thank you so much for coming on the Run to Daylight podcast. I loved it, man. Thank you for having me. No problem. You can come on again sometime if you want. All right. I, as I always will, tend to leave us with a song. And I'm looking at, ah, well, the season's over. We went the distance in our best ball leagues. Hopefully you went the distance and came out a winner in your leagues as well. We'll take a little bit of a break from uh, MFLs and talk. Uh, a little bit, and then uh, end of February, we'll get back going again when it opens up. Thanks for listening, folks. Going the distance from Rocky.